team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we draw, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podsky Wee Wee. I'm Josh Smith. And I am Mike Hausen. Mike Hausen. Okay, let's get into it then, Mikey boy. Uh, so we had a format for today. And then about an hour before we sat down to do this bad boy, that got blown out of the water because the news broke that the Ticats had traded Jagera Davis to the Calgary Stampeders for a 2024 six-round pick. What did you make of the move? Well, it's 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 definitely interesting because he was one of the big names they brought in in the offseason, right? Um, you know, there's been a couple of names along the defensive line that they brought in that that hasn't panned out. This for uh, different reasons than uh, Botang, which we'll get into a little bit later. But um, I mean, if you've been listening to Podsky Wee Wee, you would kind of know that this guy came into camp and uh, maybe wasn't giving his full effort the whole time. That's what you saw at practice, maybe being a little bit. Um, he just not as hungry as he once was. And, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons why he was let go. He, his, his production wasn't there this year so far. And uh, maybe the team just got tired of his attitude or something like that. I'm not sure. He played five games. He had seven tackles and zero sacks. He was a healthy scratch last week. Wasn't at practice on Monday. Was here at practice on Tuesday, but didn't do anything. Spent his entire time with Marcellus Bowman. Like you mentioned, he was a kind of a big name signing in the offseason, but he came back to Hamilton for a lot less money than he left to go to Toronto for. And you have to think that that was because he showed a decline in play with the Argos last year. Like his numbers with Toronto last year were nothing special. He played in 14 games. He had 36 tackles, seven sacks. Like the year before in Hamilton, played 13 games, had 39 tackles and six sacks. Like you saw the decline in his play over the last couple of years and that's it's way like when he came to Hamilton 2019 he was he was a monster 13 sacks like he was a game wrecker and he hasn't really been that player now post-COVID look sometimes you need to make a shakeup like this to this this team's underachieving right now two and four is not where they expect it to be not where they want to be but sometimes you make these moves we've seen it with past teams coach Ron Lancaster famously cut Ronald Williams in the middle of the 20, I think it was the 2001 season as he was, I think he was leading the league in rushing at the time, but he had had enough of his BS and said to hell with you and got him out of there. Uh, Craig East, remember Craig East when he got released mm -hmm. halfway through a game, got an altercation on the way to the locker room. I believe it was Lancaster and then too said, see ya and got rid of him. Like sometimes you have to throw the gauntlet down and get rid of some of these underperforming players. And quite frankly, big name or not, Jagger Davis is a big name. Hasn't been putting up the numbers. And you're right. I tried to kind of drop hints throughout the offseason in, in camp and, and in the preseason that 
he's not really putting in a ton of effort. And you would think that a guy that took almost $100,000 less, I think he was making something like 235 with the Argos last year. And I believe he was in like the 150, 155, maybe 160 category with Hamilton this year. Took a major pay cut because he had regressed so noticeably last year in Toronto. You think a guy would come in motivated, but he shows up late for training camp like he always did. Doesn't do a ton of work during practices. Doesn't Didn't do a ton of work during training camp. This, to me, felt inevitable. I remember we did our, our preseason live show, kind of a, our pilot episode for, for the new live show format. And I believe one of our listeners, I, I don't remember which, which one it was, I'm sorry, but asked us about surprise training camp cuts. And I said there, like, I don't think there'll be one, but Garrett Davis could be that guy that's on the outside looking in because of what I saw every day. And now we see what he what that they've they've finally decided to move on. This doesn't shock me in any way. If you're around this team on an almost daily basis as I am, you could see this coming. He was a healthy scratch last week. It it all kind of piles up and adds up. So I know there's probably a lot of Ticats fans out there going like, what the hell's going on? Like there's gonna be a lot of people and it's gonna annoy the crap out of me when I see it. He's gonna come back and and bite him in the ass. He's not. He's not the player he once was. And quite frankly, and I don't mean any disrespect because I, the, what these guys do, what they put their bodies through, how they play, I can only wish to be that good. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the last year we see Jagarra Davis in the Canadian Football League. Like, I just think he's going to go to Calgary. Unless he has a rejuvenated attitude or the change of scenery does him well, he's going to be the same player he's been now for going on three years and that's not a guy that you pay big bucks to to keep in the league. That's a guy that is out of the league at 32, 33 years old because he can't perform anymore. The Ticats moving on from him, I think, was a smart move. I think it was the right move, and I don't think it was a surprising move. And I think that this could be the beginning of the end of the Canadian Football League career of Jaguar Davis. Yeah, you got to think if you know losing that salary in the range of $70,000 coming back to the Tiger Cats won't motivate him, then uh, you know going to the Calgary Stamp- Tampeters with the same salary probably won't motivate him either. But... My question is, who's going to fill in for him now? I know he was a healthy scratch last game, but I'm looking at the defensive ends right now. We got Malik Carney. We got Trey Crawford. Uh, There's a couple guys on the injured list right here, including uh, Mason Bennett, of course, and uh, Wilcox. So who, who do you see stepping up into that position? Well, we saw Trey Crawford last week start. I don't necessarily think he was all that effective, but I do think he's a guy that is someone to keep an eye on. But it's also interesting that you bring up Cedric Wilcox because he was practicing this week after he was on the sixth game. So he, I think he actually came back last week with like when that whole slew of, of guys that were in week five of their six game stint, Dylan Winge, Sean Thomas, Erlington, all those guys. I think Wilcox, because he's not as known a commodity was one of those guys. He's the guy that I think I would look at as potentially being uh, Davis's replacement on the game day roster. And he's someone that I thought when they, when they acquired him last year, late in the season from Winnipeg, when they traded Alden Darby, I thought he played pretty well in some limited snaps. I think he's a guy that the team is very high on. I think they're looking to get him on the field. I think he could be a guy that a younger player, not making as much money. And I, I, I've i seen some comments that they think that this is the start of a fire sale. I don't think that's what this is. I really don't think this was a money thing. I think it's it's good to get off that money. But I don't think this was a money situation. I don't think it was like we we don't want to pay him. I just think they didn't want him on the team anymore because he wasn't putting in the effort. 
But I do think Cedric Wilcox is a guy that I would keep my eye on as potentially being the one to fill in. But it's also, they rotate so many guys in. They got Canadian guys out there. Jonathan Congvo yep. plays D, D end. You mentioned Mason Bennett. He is on the 60 mm. Rangers list, but he's a Canadian as well. So they like to mix and match the Canadians and the Americans because they still have Mo Diallo. They still have Ted Laurent in the middle. So they, they swap those guys in and out so frequently. But I think if you were to peg me down and say, who's the one guy you think could be the, the one for one replacement, I think we're going to see Cedric Wilcox on the game day roster as potentially his replacement this week and going forward. But it also could be Trey Crawford. But I think because he hasn't played and they, they did make a splash to trade for him last year, Wilcox would be the name that I'd look out for. Yeah, and you look, you know, you, we lose a guy like Jagger Davis. Um, obviously, we lose Botang. Um, two big names have been uh, along the defensive line, but it just speaks to the depth that we have in that position group because, you know, we're talking about guys like Wilcox and Mason Bennett coming off the the six-game injured list that could slide right in there. So, obviously, uh, a point of strength for this team. Do you, but do you think this might be a, a wake-up call for the other kind of under – because there, Davis wasn't yeah, the only – isn't the only underperforming veteran on this team, right? Like, there are some other guys out there that – you look at their production, you're like, you're not putting up the numbers you should be for sort of your stature with this organization and, and in this league. Sometimes you need that kick in the ass, do you not? Yeah, and, you know, I know that Kongbos came into the team, but he, and I'm not sure how much playing time he's been getting, but, um, you know, for a guy that was down in the NFL for a while and had this, you know, a lot of expectations on him, he hasn't really impressed me since he's been here but or is that a case of he just hasn't had the chance really to impress so far uh, i don't know if he's gotten the opportunities as much as we would like but i agree with you i don't think he's done much of anything with the time he has been given and sometimes you might only get 25 or 30 snaps in a game and you got to make the most of them you can't just rely on yep. having and, and i think we overvalue sacks especially because we think of a oh, guy, yeah. oh, a guy, a guy had two sacks. Okay, well, so he had two great plays at about 65. Like, if if a receiver had two great catches in 65 target, you know what I mean? Like, every play a defensive lineman has a chance to make a play. And I think we just overvalue some of that. Like, I, I think, like, Dylan Wynn, I, I believe his first year here had, like, 11 or 12 sacks or something. But I think he was even better in years where he had, like, six or, or four like because he can do so much more. So I think we do tend to overvalue sacks, but I would agree with you. I don't think Kongbo, and that might be also a case of coming into the team late, not being here in training camp, yeah. being with another team. Like there, there's a number of factors there, but I would agree with you. I, I think that he has been, I won't go so far as to say disappointment. I think that'd be a little too harsh, but he's been underwhelming as far as like yeah. a big name, Cana especially a big name Canadian that was drafted in, I believe he was like the third or fifth or something like that overall pick in the year he was drafted by Winnipeg. So there's definitely some pedigree there that you would expect a little bit more. And maybe that will come later in the season as as he gets more comfortable in his role. But like you said, there's so many defensive ends on this team, defensive linemen in general, that the team can kind of swap in and out guys almost at will. And they'll find out. And it's just a matter of who plays. They'll find out who can. And then if one guy performs better than the other, the other guy not necessarily won't be here anymore or will get even a, a smaller role. So it's a good thing to have so much depth because it does allow you to make a move like this or make other moves like this in the future. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see some of the bigger name guys. Like I think Casey Sales is, is, has performed fairly, fairly well given what he's done. I think Ted Laurent's been excellent this year. So they have gotten some good some good production out of some of those guys. And it'll be interesting to see when Dylan Wynn comes back and integ reintegrates into this defensive line. If that just makes everyone better. Cause he does absorb mm -hmm. a lot of, 
a lot of attention. And I think that's something that's been missing a little bit from the D-line the first six weeks. Yeah, absolutely. With all the names they brought in, with all the hype along the defensive line, you know, partially from us hyping it up that they've mm-hmm. really been building along the, the D-line and, and the front seven in general, they just haven't been getting the pressure that we'd hoped. You know, you can't judge it on just sacks, but I just feel like as a whole, they haven't been getting pressure on the quarterbacks. And I don't think the run uh, defense has been as good as it's been in the past either. I think you're bang on with both of those uh, assessments, Mike. Like, I, I don't think the pass rush has been very good. They haven't really forced quarterbacks off the spot. And even when they do, it still feels like there's something like something missing on the back. And like, I just don't think the defense as a whole has played that well this year. And I, mm. I think it does start in the trenches with with the front four. I think Jameer Thurman has been an acquisition that's worked out really, really well. Knuckleheadery aside, I think Chris Edwards has actually been pretty good on the field. Like his BS that he deals with, off, not necessarily off the field, but after the whistle is something you don't really want to deal with. But I think he's he's been pretty good. It's it's. It, there's been a, but there's been a lot of screw ups with this defense this year, and it's maybe this is the move that kind of jump starts that in the right direction because now you're not leaning towards a guy that can't do it anymore. Because I think that's the that's what the case this is a case of this is a case of Garrett Davis simply not being the caliber of player he used to be, and at making starters money making maybe maybe a little less than top tier pass rusher money you can't put up seven tackles and zero sacks in five games that's simply unacceptable you need to be getting after the quarterback and even if the numbers weren't there like did you work can you recall with the exception of he had he was the guy who wrapped up taylor cornelius when he threw the left-handed pick six but aside from that one play in the five games he played is there anything about jagger davis that stood out to you when he was with the Cats this year because i can't think of anything else not a not nothing really. I mean, he, he was pretty much invisible out there. He he wasn't pressuring the quarterback. He wasn't doing anything good that I noticed. So yeah, I I just don't see it as a big loss uh, making this trade. Yeah, same here. I think that there's going to be a lot of Ticat fans who are going to see the name and maybe get upset about it. But I'm not saying you have to go back and watch games or come to practice every day. But there's a reason they did this, and I I think this was the right move. And hopefully, it's sort of the the move that kind of kickstarts this team going in the right direction. But I think we've talked enough about a guy who's no longer here and it takes a pretty big story to bump the starting quarterback returning. So let's talk about him and his return to the field. And this is what we were going to talk about right when we started happier tie cats news. That's Bo Levi Mitchell has returned to practice and took most of the first team reps on Monday and took all of the first team reps on Tuesday which I believe is a good sign that he will start on Friday when the Ticats head to Ottawa to take on the Red Blacks in what has now turned out to be a massive matchup between two division rivals. Rookie Taylor Powell, who I think started and was admirable in his start last week in the loss against the Argos, he did take some reps with the first-team offense on Monday, but he took none of them on Tuesday. As we all know, Mitchell has been out since suffering his adductor injury against the Argos back in Week 2 and was placed on the six-game injured list ahead of Hamilton's Week 3 game against Montreal. He's obviously, now that he's practicing and doing so early, been pulled off the sixth game so he can practice with the team. And I know that on Monday after practice, Orlando Steinhauer played a little coy of who will start on Friday. Shocking to everyone listening, I know. Orlando Steinhauer not being, not being open and honest. Who would have thought? 
it does seem, at least from what I've seen, that all signs are pointing to Mitchell making his return to the lineup against the Red Blacks. I don't think Wednesday's practice day three is usually the indicator of guys, whether or not they're going to play. But that's usually a case of if someone sits out maybe Monday and Tuesday and they practice Wednesday, there's a good chance that they'll be in. But if you if you're practicing if and I know that they said he was a limited participant, but I think that that's a little misleading. He really only didn't and Mitchell I'm talking about here from what I saw really only didn't participate half of the time in, in some drills, giving Powell a chance. Cause if, if there was a setback, then Powell needs to get his reps in as well. I, I think that's safe to say, but there doesn't seem to be any setbacks. He was full go on Tuesday. So regardless of what Steinhauer says, I think it's, it's pretty safe to assume that when the depth chart comes out on Thursday for Friday's game, it'll be Mitchell atop the quarterback depth chart. So Mike, are you happy with this development that Bo's coming back early? Are you excited to see him get back on the field? What, what were your feelings when uh, when you found out that Bo was back in pads and at Ticats practice? The excitement, uh, you know, you can't be too excited because of the way that he played in that first game and a half. But, you know, he's with a new team, new system, all that stuff. He didn't get a lot of time. So I, I'm excited. You know, they brought this guy in to be the starting quarterback, to lead this team to better things. Um, and he's going to have to start producing, like, immediately. We need this win. And Ottawa, you know, going up against Ottawa a couple of weeks ago was a bit of a gimme. Now, not so much. They've just beat Winnipeg, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Calgary Stampeders. And I know the Stampeders aren't what they used to be, but they're still a pretty good team. So uh, this is going to be a big test coming up this week. And to get Bo Levi Mitchell back is huge. So he needs to perform and he needs to do it right away or there's going to be hell to pay. Well, I just think that in seeing and I don't think there's any chance that Bo loses a starting job I think he could go out there and throw five interceptions and he'll be starting the week after against Montreal so I'm not saying that at all but with what we've seen from the quarterback position this year and I think I saw I think it was Adam who made the comment that Bo was has been the third best quarterback this year for the Ticats and I don't think that you can dispute that I think now granted it's a game and a half and I mean Taylor Powell I thought I was actually excited to see him get a second start. Quite frankly, I even put out a tweet that it, we were going to get some action on Friday because it was Taylor Powell who went to Eastern Michigan versus Dustin Crum who went to Kent State, two Mac schools. Yeah. And I always loved uh, some some good Mac action. You know what I mean? The action because mm-hmm. midweek we see those stuff. Yeah, <laughs> midweek stuff. And 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 a lot of really good CFL players. Like I think people kind of yep. discount it, but a lot of especially quarterbacks come from that conference in the U.S. Like Nathan Rourke was a Mac guy and Milt Stiegel was a Mac guy. And there's, there's a lot of like really good players. Those are the only two I can think of off the top of my head, but I know that there's definitely more that come from that conference that because it's a similar style to the way the CFL has always kind of played. It's a lot of, I mean, I know football nowadays everywhere is a lot of shotgun and, and throwing the ball, but the Mac kind of revolutionized that with the high scoring, throw it over the field offense. So you, you see a lot of that in the Mac. And I think that's why those guys translated so well to the Canadian game. But I'm with you, man. Bo's got to put put up points. He's got to produce. He's got to look like the quarterback we thought we were trading for all the way back in November and who signed in January. Like he he hadn't been good enough against either Winnipeg or Toronto. And in to give him the benefit of the doubt, no one's really looked good against you. I know Winnipeg's kind of slid in the last couple of weeks. No one's no quarterback really looked that good against Toronto. I guess Cody Fajardo played fairly well against them in that in that loss there, but even he threw, I think he threw two interceptions and maybe had a fumble or something like that. But he's got to he's got to show out against against Ottawa. I I don't think Ottawa's defense is tremendous. I think they're kind of riding high right now with Dustin Crum and 
and all that stuff. But it, it took two overtime victories. And yes, victories are victories, and they're impressive. To go into Calgary, put up 40-plus points, and win in overtime is impressive, regardless of how good the stamps are. To come back against Winnipeg, and it's that's impressive. So I'm not discounting anything with Ottawa. But we're now going to get to see a little bit more film on Dustin Crum. And to be frank, we're going to we actually later when we play our game, we actually have a Dustin Crum question. But he's not that refined a passer. He is a good runner, but I think you can hem that in. But with Bo, he needs protection. And last week when we when we did the live show and we talked about one of the big failures of the team against Toronto, it was the terrible play of the offensive line. You can get away with a bad offensive line a little bit more with a mobile quarterback like a Taylor Powell. You can't get away with that with Bo. Bo needs time to make plays. Bo needs time to scan the field because we know he's not going to escape the pocket and run. That's not his game, never has been, never will be. The offensive line's got to step up in this because I could see Bo getting absolutely hammered because Ottawa's got a pretty decent defensive line. Cleon Lang in the middle is pretty good. They got Lorenzo Malden, the rating defensive player of the year on the end. Like you're going to have to protect Bo in this one if he's going to be able to make plays. And I just hope that they're up to the task because Bo's numbers will suffer. The mistakes will come and the loss will happen if they don't protect Bo. But at the same time, Bo's got to make the right play. He can't make those boneheaded interception throws like he did in the first two weeks of the season when he played. He needs to clean that stuff up. Seeing him at practice, he looks good, but he looked good in training camp. So he's got to put it up on the field. And until we see that, there's always going to be a little bit of skepticism with me. Yeah, I'm going to take a little bit of a, a detour here, but the, the defense needs to help him out too. Look at mm-hmm. the, listen to these listen to these uh, stats. Last in points allowed, last in opposition offensive points, last in opposition touchdowns, last in opposition offensive TDs. We stink on defense. Yep, we stink. We're terrible, and we have the talent. We should be able. You know, we should be a pretty good defense, but, you know, I don't understand why there's no talk about the, the terrible. I mean, it's it's all offense, all Tommy Condell. Why are we not talking about the defense? I just listed off four stats. We are at the bottom of the league. It's it's terrible. So, um, Bo coming back, he needs to be better, absolutely. The defense needs to help him out, though. And like you said, the offensive line needs to be better. If, if Bo doesn't perform at a high level for this, the rest of his tenure in Hamilton, I'm going to believe that I was right, that he was part of the Calgary Stampeders, and that made him look good. You know what I mean? Like I, so he, I was was a, he was Calgary. a system guy. He was a system yes. guy. I'm trying to search for the right phrase, but anyways, you know what I mean? Yep. He, I would watch him, and don't get me wrong, he wasn't bad quarterback or anything like that, but so many games, the Stampeders would just hang around, hang around, hang around, and then they'd score a touchdown in the fourth quarter, put it away. But he wasn't like blowing the, you know, the, he wasn't playing at an extremely high rate every single game for 60 minutes. And I noticed that for a long time. So um, if he comes in and he stinks, then I'm going to think he's a product of his environment in Calgary. That's what I was looking for. That's that's fair. That's a fair assessment. And you you brought up the defense and that it's fine to go on that tangent because I agree with you. Does this not remind with with those numbers and how bad this defense has been? Does it not remind you of the 2012 season? And I don't think our offense is anywhere near as good as it was with Burris and, and Cortez when George Cortez was head coach, but also calling the offensive plays. They were scoring 30 something a week, but the defense was giving up almost 40 and they couldn't stop anybody like I, I remember we. We went into the final week of the season and the Ticats needed to win against, they were playing a bunch of Argos backups. Now history shows those backups ended up being tr- 
Zach Caleros and Trevor Harris. So they ended up being some pretty good quarterbacks, but they weren't that in 2012. And they put up the Ticats lost that game 43 to 40 in a game. They had to win. They win that game. They make the playoffs. That offense was so deadly, despite how piss poor that defense was. They went into the last week of the season with a chance to make the playoffs, but they allowed 43 points to two Argos backup quarterbacks and yes, they turned out to be Zach Caleros and Trevor Harris, but we that's not who they were in 2012. We we can't retcon that they were these great players because they weren't. They they were unknowns who played well because Hamilton's defense was Swiss cheese that year. And that's what it feels like this year. They don't get stopped when they most need them. They they can't stop teams from scoring. Like they've held what? One team under 20 points all year. I think it was Ottawa and, and everything. And they've and I think every other game other than the Ottawa game and the Edmonton game, they've allowed 30 plus. You're not going to win. I, like, yeah, we all love the high-flying 40-point CFL of, of years gone by. That's not how you win in the modern game. You cannot give up 30-plus points a week. I don't care if both throws for 500 yards and five touchdowns. If the defense gives up 45 points, it's not going to make a damn bit of difference. They're going to lose the game anyway. So, yeah, I think we're putting a lot of weight on Bo's shoulders, and I think he's the kind of guy who's arrogant, who's brash, who's confident enough that he'll take it. But there's a lot of problems with this team right now, and I, 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 you and I have been talking about the defensive problems since day one. Mm-hmm. Everyone mm-hmm. else wants to blame the offense. It's m- not enough people listen to us, is what I'm saying. Because if yeah. they listen to us, they know that the defense is a problem, and we've been saying that since the first game of the season. You cannot give up 30 plus points a game and expect to win any games in, in this league. It's just not going to happen. Opposition net offense second last. Opposition first down second last. Opposition offensive plays we're in the middle of the pack, but that's because we lead the league in time of possession on offense. Uh, opposition well, but think of that, yards but think of that too. Play, but think of that too. Last, but, seven yards per play. But but think of that too. You mentioned what was the we were middle of the pack in what did you say? Opposition uh, plays. Opposition offensive plays. Yeah. So we, but we are most in points given up. So the off the. Defense is allowing the fewest plays because teams are scoring so goddamn quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the, so it's oh man, the defense isn't on the field that much, but they're giving up the most points. That's a bad metric. Like you know what I mean? Like that that tells you that this defense is giving up big plays and they're giving up big scoring plays, and that is a problem. So yep. anyway, to, you want to get back to Bo just for a quick second before we move yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got one simple question. Have your expectations for him diminished in any way since he started that season so poorly? Or are you still hopeful that he can get to the player that can lead this team to a championship? Not diminished at all. Two-time breakup champion, two-time most outstanding player. He has the credentials. He has the cockiness. He has the arrogance. Now let's see it on the field. Let's see how good you really are, Bo. All right. That, that That sounds absolutely fair. I'm a little less... I won't say I won't say it's diminished, but I'm just I need to see it in a game. I've seen it enough in practice. I saw it all throughout May. I saw it in the first preseason game. He looked excellent, especially in the second drive. And then they pulled him and then he didn't really play again. I need to see it for a full 60 minutes in the game. I need to see him not make those boneheaded throws that lead to silly interceptions that cost the team points. I need to see him do it. And if he plays well and the team still loses, that's OK with me. I won't blame him if the team loses. Like I'm not one of those, you know, you know how I hate quarterback wins as a, as a metric, mm-hmm. but if this team gives up 40 points against Ottawa and they lose 41 to 36, we need to really ha- start having a, a genuine, honest conversation about the state of this defense, because it's, it's gone on for far too long where one, one coordinator has gotten the bulk of the blame when at worst it should be 50, 50 in my opinion. 
How many yards on the ground do you think we're giving up a game on average? I'll say 94. 115.7. Get lost. That's That never would have happened. The, the Cats were never a team that gave up that many rushing yards. That's incredible. On average, 5.3 yards uh, per carry on average against per the carry? defense. Yeah. So teams might as well just hand the ball for replay because you're going to get a first down. And what might be killing yards, us play, the most, touchdown. average first down of the opposition, how many yards? 8.16. Yeah. They're you're not winning many yards. games if you're not. Yeah. You're not winning many games if teams are, are in second and short every time. Absolutely. All right. So this next one we're going to move on now isn't a direct cat story, but it is tangentially. Canadian a defensive lineman, Kwaku Boateng, announced his retirement on social media last Thursday. Boateng wrote, Despite the interest of CFL teams have expressed, I've chosen to retire from professional football. I aim to protect my health while also pursuing my business aspirations. Thank you to Brock Sunderland, Demetrius Maxey, and Mike Benavides for being honorable men during my career. So the Ticats released Boateng back on June 13th after he missed all of training camp and the first week of the regular season while still recovering from an Achilles injury suffered in the spring of 2022 when he was a member of the Ottawa Red Blacks. He finishes his career having played in 64 games with 46 starts and recording 83 total tackles, 23 tackles for loss, and 25 sacks, all coming with Edmonton from 2017 to 2021. He was a fifth-round pick in the 2017 CFL draft and far exceeded his draft position. Maybe, despite his early retirement, one of the five best players, maybe the best player to come out of that draft class. And he became one of the premier Canadian defensive linemen in the CFL in just his second season. You and I were both very excited when the Ticats announced that Boateng had signed with the team back in February. And honestly, we were each a little disappointed when he was released in June. But with this news that he is using his health as a reason for retiring from the game, does this not now make a lot more sense why the Ticats moved on from him? Yeah, absolutely. They they maybe saw the writing on the wall and figured that this guy's not going to be playing football for much longer, if if at all. So it's unfortunate because, like you said, he was a a rising Canadian star and had some really, really good years in Edmonton. And it would have been nice to see him wearing the black and gold, getting sacked for the team, but it just didn't work out. Uh, but uh, I wish him the best of luck uh, in his life after football. Yeah, I'm obviously with you on that as well. Hopefully he has a, a very productive life, what he does outside of the game. But I saw a lot of Ticat fans in the aftermath of his release last month talking about this was a big mistake and they're going to regret this and yada, yada, yada. And I did wonder, do they know something that they're just not sharing, that he's not ready to return? And I think even though he said there was interest from CFL teams, I don't necessarily doubt him on that, to be honest with you. I, I, I'm not going to call him a liar. If he says it happened, I'll, I'll believe him until I've, I'm given a reason not to. You know what I mean? But – the fact that he is, he said, I aim to protect my health, which tells me he's not ready to get back on the field and maybe would never have been ready to get back on the field. There's a lot of Ticat fans that kind of need to go back and maybe delete some tweets or, or apologize for jumping the boat on this one because it's, it, it was, it, it was an, uh, not an upsetting move, but yeah, like I said, we were kind of disappointed. It's like, oh man, this kind of sucks. Like really hoping to see him. Like you said, I really want to see him getting those quarterback sacks in black and gold. I remember when he, he became a rising star in Edmonton. I became a big fan. You did as well. And it was like, oh, man, this he went to Wolf Gloria, so he's from the area. It's like, man, why couldn't the Ticats pick this guy up? And then they did, and then he just never gets a chance to play. It just, it's unfortunate when a young player's career 
comes to an end and he did have a very productive career when he was with Edmonton, but injuries humbles a lot of guys. And it just looks like that Achilles injury he suffered last spring just wouldn't let him get back on the field. And that's just a damn shame from him on a personal level. That sucks from an entertainment perspective. It stinks. I like watching him play, but it seems as if the Ticats made the right move. Like there's he's, he, he's hurt. He can't play football. They didn't really have a reason to keep him on the team. Do you find it interesting, though, that he thanked the guys in Edmonton, but no one in Ottawa or Hamilton? You know what I mean? Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like I don't know if there's much to read into that or if it's just something that because he really only played in Edmonton, that maybe that's more to do. That's what I'm hoping is the case. Maybe not him kind of casting aspersions on the the front office and leadership in either Ottawa or Hamilton, because that would be, in me, a, a bad way to go out. Yeah, and the yeah, I I feel like there there shouldn't be any hard feelings there because you know they they tried to bring him in and it just didn't work out. So uh, I get why he would thank Edmonton because he had his most um, you know happy years in his career, most productive years when he was actually on the field. But it would have been nice to get a little acknowledgement acknowledgement to the Tie Cats and uh, Ottawa. But you know if if that's how he feels and he 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 feels like uh, he doesn't need to thank them, then then so be it. Yeah, he's entitled to how he feels, and you can't really take that away from him. All right, we're going to move on. And much like we did last week, we're going back to the well with something we did before the season started. We are going to update our CFL running back tiers. We did this last week with the league's quarterbacks, and we had some pretty drastic changes. Both of us did. And given what we've seen this year from the league's ball carriers, I think it's safe to say that we're going to have some massive changes here as well. So, Mike, why don't you kick us off with your bottom tier? Uh, first, before we go, how many running, how many tiers and how many running backs do you have in this one? I got the same as you, four tiers, ten running backs. Okay, so why don't you start with your <clears> bottom <throat> row? Who do you got there? I got William Stanback in the bottom row and Andrew Harris. Um, I think these guys were in my bottom row when we did this in the offseason, and that's where they'll stick. Andrew Harris hasn't really gotten a lot of touches this year. He's more of the backup guy to A.J. Olet, which is a pretty good role for him just to come in and, uh, you know, late in the fourth quarter maybe or maybe on short yardage situations. But he's obviously not what, what he once was, so that's why he's in the bottom tier. And stand back, he hasn't shown me anything this year, like at all. I'm pretty sure he's near the bottom of the league for yards rushing. Uh, he's not the same player he was either. So those two guys are in my bottom tier. Okay, so that means that if we both have 10 backs, you have a guy, because you have Andrew Harris on your tiers. I do not have him once again. Uh, so I have someone up higher than you have. It'd be interesting to see who we who we have different here. But I think I owe you a bit of an apology, Mike, because when we did this in the at the start, well, before the start of the season, I had William stand back at the top and you had him at the bottom. I don't think I called you an idiot because that's not my style. I, you're entitled to your opinion. But I think I was a little less than kind as to why you would put him there. But that's where I have him now. He's at the bottom. And you you nailed it. He's ninth in the league in rushing yards. He has 223 yards. He has a 4.37 yards per carry average, which is the lowest of any ball carrier with at least 30 touches. He's just not been that good this year. He's not the player he was pre-injury. I thought maybe last season was a bit of an aberration coming back from that injury. I thought he could, he's still only 28. I thought he still has maybe a good year or two left in his prime, but he has looked slow. He has looked, doesn't have the burst, doesn't have that. He never really had breakaway speed, but he doesn't really have that, that bulldozer mentality anymore. It's, it's rare that I say this to anyone in my life, but Mike, 
I was wrong and you were right. William Stanback, he's still top 10 because he's, he's, he's on my list mm-hmm. of 10 here in my tiers, but you, you were bang on at the start of the season on this guy. He is not, I had him at the top. He was my number one back at the top of my pyramid, the top of my tiers. And he was the one guy, he was him and someone else. that I was like, who, who goes on? I was like, I got to give it to Stanback just based on reputation, but you're right, man. He's, he's not who he once was. So I got to tip my cap to you because now after six weeks of the seven weeks of the season, I've come around to your line of thinking. He's at the bottom of my tiers as well. Who do you got in row three, Mikey? All right. For my third tier, I've got four players here. Actually, did we go into our second tier yet? No. No, I'm a fucking idiot. All right. Our <laughs> second, my second tier. No, I your third William- tier. Oh, yeah. That's, it's, it's the second tier from the top. My third tier is uh, I got Kevin Brown. Even though he hasn't produced this year at all, really, I feel like he hasn't got the chance, and his offensive line stinks. And I have Williams from Ottawa. I think that he's shown flashes. Um, he's a he's a speedy back. He can make big plays, but I feel like he hasn't shown his full potential. So my uh, my third tier is Kevin Brown and Williams at Ottawa. All right, interesting. So my third row is Kadeem Carey from Calgary. Sean Thomas Erlington from our Hamilton Tiger Cats. That's who I and forgot. You forgot Sean Thomas Erlington? Uh, both and Kerry. Oh, uh, uh, well, so Car- mm-hmm. it's fair. So here's the thing. My third one is is Taquan Mazel from BC. So the only reason I put Kerry on is because like, he's only played one game this year, but I think it's fair that he's. I still think he needs to be on, but he, I can understand why you would miss him because out of sight, out of mind. You know what I mean? Like hasn't really mm-hmm. played. I'm assuming much like myself, you have Dietrich Mills a lot higher on this list and he's kind of been replaced honestly. And, and the stamps running game hasn't really missed a beat, but I think he's still a talented enough back that even sure. with that next to like, if we would have done this last year after like William Stanback had suffered an injury, I think William Stanback would have still made my tears even though he wasn't playing. But I think, cause I do think Kerry's going to come back this year. I don't think he's done for the season, but he has, he's only played one game. So Based on what we've seen this year, you can't have him all that much higher. Same with same with early. He hasn't played at all yet, but I still think that the talent is there for him to be a dependable and reliable player in both the run and pass game. So that's why his him and Carrie are both more projections of I think that they can do something. And Mizell, he got off to that hot start and would probably be higher on this list if he didn't get hurt. But he's now kind of ceded his job to Sean Shivers. He did not make my tears, but if he becomes sort of the bell cow, the primary back for the lions, I would swap him and Mazzella out in a heartbeat. Cause I think they both, they've shown that that run game in BC is not necessarily contingent on the player, but on that scheme, it just works. They can run the football and both guys are pretty good in the passing game as well. But because Mazzella has put up bigger numbers and he really had that great start to the season, he's the guy that I put on my list. While again, maybe when we do this near, near the end of the season, things will change because they'll have made a change at the uh, at the tailback spot, and Shivers will be the guy to go there. But those are the guys that I have in my third tier there. Kadeem Carey, Sean Thomas Erlington, mm-hmm. and Taquan Mazzell. So let's move on to our second rows now, Second last from the top here. Who do you got in your second tier, Mike? I got Taquan Mazzell in the second tier. He really impressed me uh, when he got in there before he got injured. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's, he's an exciting back to watch. Uh, just uh, really good stuff. I think he could even climb higher uh, if he didn't get injured. So 
keep an eye on him for, for you know this season and next season and the years to come. Uh, Diedrich Mills is in this tier as well. Like you said uh, not too long ago that Kadeem Carey went down and Mills came in and <clears throat> he's done a hell of a job filling in for him. Uh, Jamal Morrow, I think, is a really talented back out of Saskatchewan. And to uh, to end the second tier, I have James Butler, our running back in Hamilton. Uh, you know, he he doesn't get to touch the ball as much as I'd like. Uh, there was two games there recently where he got a number of touches and he showed what he could do. If given the ball, you know, 15 to 20 times a game, he can be a really productive back. And we've talked about his blocking a ton. He's a great blocking running back and a great receiving running back. So that's why he is in the second tier, along with Morrow, Mills and Mazzell. So my second tier is, we have two of the same. I got Jamal Morrow and Dietrich Mills here as well. But I put Kevin Brown in my second tier, as well as Brady Oliveira. I know Oliveira, I know he leads the league in rushing, but I don't ever feel like he takes over a game. You know what I mean? Like, I know he's a talented back. He's very clearly in your top tier, and I totally understand that. But, I mean, unless he's not on your tiers at all, which I think would be crazy because he leads the league in rushing. So he's, I'm just, I'm projecting here a little bit and just knowing who I have in my top row, who you must have in yours. It just, it's, I think the listeners do as well, kind of process of elimination as to who's yeah. there. But I just don't feel like he ever truly like dominates a game. And I think he can be erased a lot of times. Like I think we saw against Winnipeg when they are not against Winnipeg, when Winnipeg played Ottawa, he was kind of a non-factor in that game for most of it. So I just don't think he's as necessary to that. I think he's just kind of a plug and play guy. I think the bombers could put anyone back there and have them be really successful. They just happen to be using him right now. Not to say he's not a good running back, not to say he's not talented or anything like that. I just don't necessarily think that I can put him in my upper echelon. Uh, you talked about Morrow. Uh, I'll just add, I think he's been Saskatchewan's best player on offense this year, but you look at his numbers and he has five and a half yards per carry, which is the second worst amongst running backs with Williams, only William Stanback being, being few, having fewer yards per carry than him. So he his his yards is, is coming from a lot of volume, but he's not really making a lot of all those touches. You, I know people hear four and a half yards per carry and think, oh, that's, I, I mean, I saw an Alouettes fan make the claim that because Stanback had a 4.4 yards per carry average that he was he wasn't washed up or he was. But in the CFL, four, four and a half yards is not good enough. That's not enough to get you a first in the NFL. It's great. Four and a half, five yards. Great. CFL, you got to be five, five and a half yards, I think, to be a a truly elite, elite back, unless you also do stuff out of the backfield. If you can do both, I think your yards per carry can be a little lower. I don't think Morrow's necessarily a great pass catcher. I know Stanback isn't, so that's why he's, even though he's in the top five, I believe, in rushing, he falls down my list here. Dietrich Mills, another one. He's kind of the poster boy for why you don't pay a running back because he's given Calgary the same kind of production as Kadeem Carey, but done it at a fraction of the cost. I think he's been tremendous since he's been in there. And I think he's got a re- like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Stampeders tried in a way to trade carry to somebody else or after this season moved on from carry and let Mills be the guy because he's proven that he can be. And I still really like Kevin Brown. I still think he's one of my favorite runners and I'm not going to ding him because his team sucks and he doesn't get used as much as he should, because even with all those obstacles, 
He is still fourth in the league in rushing yards. He does average over five yards per carry. So he is still being somewhat productive despite all the issues around him. I think if you put him on a real team that was competing, his numbers would skyrocket. So I think even in spite of all the things in his in his path, he's still been fairly successful this year, all things considered. So because of that, I still have him high on my on my list here in my second tier. So last one here, I think everyone knows who I have not yet mentioned, who you have not yet mentioned, but let's make it official, Mike. Who is in your top tier? I got Oliveira and Ouellette. Um Ouellette is the number one guy right now. I yep. just think the the way that this guy runs, he's he's a power back, but he also has the speed, the breakaway speed to to break off those big runs. You know, he's not the fastest guy in the league by any stretch, but he has enough speed to be successful. And he's just, you know, he he just runs hard. You know, it's just like he's going to run you over. He's going to jump over you. He's just been so productive this year. So I think he's the best running back in the league right now. And I will agree with you that Oliveira, you know, maybe he's a, a product of his environment in Winnipeg. Maybe being in front of that offensive line, like you said, you could stick anybody back there and they're going to average 5.5 yards per carry. But he's doing it. So that's why he's in the top tier for me. No, and that's perfectly acceptable, and I will I will take any sort of criticism as to why I don't have him up here. I'm with you. A.J. Ouellette's in my top tier, but I also have James Butler, and I know people are going to think that's a homer pick, but he's third in the league in rushing yards, which is incredible for a Ticats running back if you followed this team for any stretch of time. And I think he's the league's best receiving back. He puts up some yards in the receiving game as well, so I think his overall game lends him I know his yards per I just went on a huge rant about yards per carry being under five and Butler is one of the three guys in the top 10 whose yards per carry is under five but he adds so much versatility with his ability to catch out of the backfield and he's also a pretty damn good pass blocker and I know that we're not really talking about that but I think that plays a factor as well and AJ I'm right with you he is the best running back in the league he's a goddamn freight train and I'm a hater I'm not gonna lie I don't like him I, I, I hate the hairdo. I hate the hype that he gets. But even when you hate, you, you have to be an honest hater. And I can't deny talent and I can't deny production. Even though I'm, I'm like, I just want to hate on this guy because he looks like a goof. Mm-hmm. He's the best running back in, in the CFL right now without question. He runs you over. He runs by you. He goes over top of you. He's a freight train that has the power of a locomotive that can just – a guy his size, he he so reminds me of Chad Cacker. Like, he's probably a little bit bigger even, but that's who he, his style of play just reminds me of Chad. Little Chad Cacker, little bit of Josh Ronick. Like, he is the new version of the little ball of hate. And again, I want to just say nothing but bad things about him because I am an unabashed hater of this man as a football player. I cannot stand it. But you can't deny what he's done for the Argos on that offense. Makes that up. I think that entire offense has been great. I think Chad Kelly, we talked about last week, has elevated that team. But I think a lot of that has to do with A.J. Ouellette just being an absolute truck in the backfield. So as much as I want to hate on the dude, he's shown, much like Chad Kelly, I think I had him pretty low in my rankings at the start of the year because I needed to see more. He's shown me more this year and deservedly is at the top of the tiers here with James Butler. And if I'm if I'm ranking them one, two, Ouellette is number one, and it's it's a pretty steep drop until we get to Butler. But, yeah, what, what else can I say? So, yeah, interesting one. Should, should we do receivers next week? Should we make the, the pledge to go back to our receiver tiers and, and finish off the offensive guys next week then? Yeah, we might as well. I mean, we started this thing up, so we might as well finish off the, the quarter way point 
Yeah. Um, I don't think we'll, for... I don't think we'll go into like we, we did in the off season where we'll get into all the defensive players. Cause I don't think, I don't no, think people, I don't think people care as sad as this is. I think people care about the glamor positions, not quarterback, running back and receiver. So mm-hmm. but we'll make the pledge right now. Next week, when we come back, we will indeed give our updated receiver tiers. Going to be a lot of changes there as well. Injuries have, have derailed some guys and there's been a lack of production from some guys and some yep. surprising production. From some guys that weren't even on the list at the start of the season will probably be on the list now. For sure. For sure. It's going to yep. be a lot of fun doing that one. That, that, that was probably going to be the biggest one where I thought there was going to be changes because the attrition at that position can just be otherworldly. So that'll be a fun one to do next week. All right. Are you time to play? Are you ready to play a game, Mike? It's time to play a game. Yeah, not. I like games. I like games. All right. Yeah. All right. We're going to play one correct answer. This this first one here actually comes because of your Podski Wawa show, Mike, which you can find over on Patreon.com forward slash Podski Wee So a little bit of a plug for our Patreon channel there. Dustin Crum, quarterback of the Ottawa Red Blacks, has kind of taken the league by storm leading Ottawa to a pair of overtime wins in his first two starts. Did you know, kind of a side note here before we get into the, what the game's going to be, do you know that's the first time a team has won back-to-back overtime games in the history of the CFL? I did not know that. I, that's an yeah. interesting stat. That's a – can you I, – I, that's, hard, that's hard to believe, right? Which also means that Dustin Crum is the first quarterback to win his first two starts in overtime because if the team's never won back-to-back overtime games – Obviously makes no sense that a quarterback could win them. But yeah, pretty pretty astounding that that's happened. I mean, it's pretty astounding that both those games have gone to overtime, but that's the way it goes. But anyway, won his first two starts, beat the Bombers at home. Last week on the road, went into Calgary, knocked off the Stampeders in thrilling fashion. Right now, he seems to be everybody's favorite player. He's getting a lot of hype, a lot of love. So Mike, I got to ask you, Dustin Crum, is he the next great CFL quarterback? Is it too early to tell? Or we, is he a flameout just waiting to happen? His first two games were our first three games. Uh, these last two games where he won were pretty damn impressive. He, he was slow in that uh, it was a slow start for him against the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers a couple weeks ago. But he had a great second half. I thought last week's game was his best game in totality, four quarters. But it's still too early to tell. We've seen quarterbacks have great seasons and then drop off the cliff the next season. So it's too early to tell for me with Crum. But, you know, all signs point to he's going to be a pretty good quarterback in this league. But but you never know, like I just said. I like to consider myself a man of integrity. And when I came on this show at the start of the year and said, I am not anointing Chad Kelly anything – because I haven't seen enough, it would lack integrity if I came on here and said, well, Dustin Crum, after two starts, is the next. he's the next Jeff Garcia. So it's exactly what you said. It is too early to tell. I waited on Chad Kelly. He's proven me wrong. He's, he's answered all those questions. I need to see Dustin Crum do this over and more. There's a lot of people already ready. And I think this is just the way we are in general, especially with sports. We're just too quick to want the next guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's been two games. We can't sit here and say he's, he's ascended to superstar status. Cause like you said, we've seen guys have great starts of career and flame out the following year. We've seen guys have two or three really good starts and then never do it again. So I'm going to wait a little bit longer before I start handing out crowns to Dustin Crumb. It's been fun to watch him play. He's been an exciting player. But, Mike, you are 100% correct. I'm 100% with you. It is way too early to tell. 
On Thursday night, Mike, we saw the reemergence of one of CFL fandom's favorite talking points, and that is comparing a current winless team to the 2011 BC Lions. We all remember that in 2011, the Lions started 0-5 before winning 11 games to finish as first in the West and then go on to win the Grey Cup. Announcers and fans love trotting this little nugget out every year when some team starts 0-5 or 1-6, or this year during Edmonton's loss last week when they dropped them to 0-7. This is just one of the many talking points that we see year in and year out get dragged out and talked about we see it with no lead is safe. The season doesn't start until Labor Day. And there's so many more here. So, Mike, your least favorite CFL talking point is, is it the 2001 or 2011 BC Lions? Is it the no lead is safe coming up all the time? Or is it something else that I didn't mention altogether? I'm going to say the, the, the season doesn't start until Labor Day because there's nine games or ten games now before Labor Day. I mean, a good half of the season or more than half of the season. So listen, I get what they mean when they say that the, the, the intensity of the games amp up the importance of the games amp up because of the standings and it's later in the season, all that stuff. Yes. But if you're all in eight or oh, and nine or oh, and 10 going into labor day, the season is over for you. It's not just starting. So it's like, I, I just hate it because it it's like, the games don't matter until Labor Day, and they do. They they do. The games matter before Labor Day, and if you lose a bunch of them, then you're going to be in trouble. And if you win a bunch of them, then you're in a better position in the second half of the season. So I hate the season doesn't start until Labor Day. I hate them all. I mean, no lead is safe. Is It's fine because in a lot of ways that's true. We've seen some tremendous comebacks, but we see those in all all football league. So I don't think it's necessarily, I think the rules allow it to happen in the CFL more often than it, than it does, but it's not necessarily a, a CFL only thing. It, it's the lions for me. I pardon my French. I fucking hate when this comes up because last year I did a piece for three down talking about this because the tie cat started so poorly. And I actually did the research on this one. So in the entirety of every time since the 2011 bc lions there have been 37 instances where teams have begun a season after six games being two games under 500 15 times out of those 37 those teams have made the playoffs that's actually not not too bad so you can overcome uh a two and four a one and five a you know what i mean like a, a that that type of start and make the playoffs eight out of those 37 teams won a single playoff game Twice, twice, a team won two or more playoff games. Three times, the team made the Grey Cup. And one time, the team won the Grey Cup. So in 37 instances over the last decade plus now of teams beginning a season, and I'm not saying 0-5, 2-4 or worse, one team has won the Grey Cup, and that's the BC Lions. It doesn't happen. For those interested, the other two, so I said three teams made the Cup. The Lions are obviously one of them. The other two, the 2013 and 2014 Hamilton Tiger Cats, they started, I believe it was, I know the the O, the 2014 team started one and six, and the 2013 season team started two and four. So, I mean, I think they, I think even think the 2014 Tiger Cats got to two and seven, but they went nine and nine, one finished first in the division at nine and nine because the East Division was garbage, 
and then went on to the Grey Cup. You don't start poorly and make a run. And I also think what really bugs me is all context on that BC team is lost when we talk about them. A, 11-7, and seven, which is what the Lions finished at, was the best record in the league that year. I think four, maybe five teams, I think it was four teams finished 11-7. and seven. I think one team finished 10-8, and eight, and the Ticats made the playoffs that year at 8-10. and 10. Like, it was a very congested league in 2011. Like, there was no 15-3, and 14-14 and 14 that ran away with everything. The other thing about that year is the Lions were winning that year. People thought they were going to be good. And they just started poorly and they lost a lot of games, but I think they lost four of their first five games or five of their first seven, whatever it was, by like under a score. They got Tad Cornegay from, I believe it was Saskatchewan, and he played a big role on defense. And they traded for Arlan Bruce and got the last prime games of Arlan Bruce's career, which helped open up things for G. Roy Simon, who was kind of at the tail end of his prime, but still had a couple good years left and allowed that team to coalesce around that. They also had maybe the greatest coach in CFL history. I'm sorry, but the Elks at 0-7 and going into that. And they only brought it up because G. Roy is now part of the front office in Edmonton. And he apparently talked to the team and said, when I was in BC in 2011, it's like, that makes it worse somehow because you would think that a player would know this is not repeatable. It's happened one time in the history of the league. And you know how I know that? Because we only ever bring up the 2011 BC Lions. Before that happened, there was no talk about it. But like, do you remember in 2007 them being like, oh, the Ticats started 0-6? Well, that's okay because the 1971 Montreal Alouettes started 0-4. And came, it never ha- it's, it's happened one time. It needs to stop being a topic of conversation. If your team starts 0-5, 0-6, 0-7, as much as it sucks, they suck. And they're not mm-hmm. going to go on a run at the end of the year, especially. And this actually kind of dovetails into the Labor Day thing because you said it yourself. It's like you go into Labor Day, you're 0-9. You're not turning your season around. And it's just it just gives fans false hope. And I don't think fans are stupid. They know if their team's 0-7, like Edmonton is now, that they're not a very good football team. So I just wish we, this would go away. I almost want a team. Like, I don't know if I want more for a team to repeat this. So then it's like it's no longer a talking point. Or if that would just make it worse, because then it'd be like, well, the 2023 Edmonton Elks started 0-7 and they finished 9-9 and and won the Grey Cup. Like, I feel like that would somehow make this worse, but I'm just so sick and tired about hearing about that team because it's, like I said, devoid of all context onto how they were able to do that. And it just drives me bloody nuts, Mike. It drives me bloody nuts. Yeah. And it's it's every year with it. Like, every time every someone starts 0-4 or 0-5 or 0-6, it's brought up. So <clears throat> I, I'm with you on that. You know, it's it was an anomaly. It's probably not going to happen again anytime soon. Um, you know, the circumstances on that team, the team was actually good. You know what I mean? Most of these teams that start 0-5, 0-6, they stink. The yep. BC Lions were good. They were led by Wally Buono. Yeah, tremendous uh, defense that year, I believe. So, yeah, they were a good team and they made the comeback, but it's not going to happen again anytime soon. All right, last one here. Former NFL receiver Julian Edelman retweeted a CFL tweet talking about Dustin Crum. Both of those men were quarterbacks at Kent State University, even though Edelman went on to be a receiver in the NFL. Edelman's comment got a lot of attention from CFL fandom, which I found a little curious considering the contempt that many say they have for the league down south. So, Mike, CFL fans fawning over Edelman's comments prove that CFL fans are desperate for American acceptance are lying when they say they don't watch or follow the National Football League, 
or this is all a big nothing and I'm just being a hater for no reason. Well, I think it's a Canada thing. Canada are as a whole is desperate for American acceptance in everything. You know, music, yep. entertainment, sports, whatever it is, America does it better in Canadians' minds. And, you know, we're just obsessed with them. So that's that. I mean, it's not just a CFL thing. I think it's a, it's a Canada thing. Um, we're not proud of our own leagues, our own musicians until they go down to the States and make it big. And then all of a sudden we claim them. Right. So it, it's a Canada thing. You know, we're a little brother to America and that's just the way it is. But it's very it's because to me, it's like kind of a comment. Like, actually, that honest with you, that was a great answer. Like, I don't think I can even. Like I, I don't even think I can fix that. Like I think you just gave a perfect thing. But don't you find it odd that like everyone says they're so patriotic in Canada, 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 but if a guy works on a sitcom that was on Showcase, like or CBC or CTV, it's a oh well, whatever. I don't really want to watch it. But if they're on, no. you know, something on Fox or NBC, and they're like, oh, that's right. our guy, it just doesn't feel thing. really weird. It does feel weird. It's like the same thing with movies. If someone finds out that is it's a Canadian made movie, they'll be like, uh, I don't think I want to watch this. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just how it's just how we are, man. It's just how we are. Yeah. More people should get into trailer park boys, even though it's Yeah, and there is those breakthrough there. Like there's the odd yeah. um shows that break through that are just Canadian, um, that are accepted. Like Trailer Park Boys, I think obviously it's not like a huge mainstream thing, but Obviously, they had a great amount of success with that show, and I mean, there's there's shows like Corner Gas that that have success as well. But yeah, Shit's you know. Creek was pretty big. Shit's Creek was pretty big, but I feel like it wasn't really, um, you know, they weren't really proud of it until they won those awards in the states, and yeah, then all of a sudden, over. it's it's uh, everyone's favorite show all of a sudden. So you know, you know, you know who the only fandom is that cares about Canadians, even even if they're not in the big time wrestling fans we love our guys no matter where they are that's true that's true yeah like yes we love them in wwe we love them in aew we love them when they're over in japan but we will if we Mm -hmm. if we will plant our flag on a canadian wrestler god damn it and it doesn't matter where they are we are always proud of our canadian boys in the pro wrestling world absolutely that's why wrestling fans are better than everybody else but yeah it's just (laughs) i don't care what julian has to say about the cfl cool whatever let's move on all right, let's get into the game preview for this week before we get out of here today. Friday night sees a huge matchup as the Hamilton Tiger Cats travel to Ottawa to take on the suddenly surging Red Blacks. The Tiger Cats lost last week but won their previous two, while the Red Blacks have won two in a row following the insertion of the everyone loves him Dustin Crum as the team starting quarterback. With their two wins, Ottawa has now leapfrogged both Hamilton and Montreal and sits in second place in the East, while the Ticats plummeted to last place following last Friday's loss to the Argos. Ticats should be getting some of their players back from the injured list for this game, most notably quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell, who, as we said earlier, has been a full participant during the first two days of practice this week. Dylan Wynn and Sean Thomas Erlington, amongst, amongst uh, amongst a host of other players, might also be returning to the lineup after sitting out the first six weeks of the season. The Red Blacks are on that mini roll, as I said, having won two straight for the first time since the first two games of the 2021 season, and they have also won two in a row at home after losing every home game a year ago. This game looked like a gimme not too long ago, but now it seems like it will be a lot tougher. So, Mike, what do you think the Ticats have to do to get this win and get their third victory of the 2023 season? 
The defense needs to be better. Uh, you know, I listed off all those stats from earlier on. We're at the bottom of the league in a lot of defensive stats. We need to be better on first down. We need to create turnovers. We need to get pressure on the quarterback. And offensively, we need to score touchdowns, not field goals. We've been giving, we've been settling for field goals way too often this season. And if both back in the lineup, we need to start punching in those touchdowns. So for me, the defensive needs or the defense needs to be better, and the offense needs to put up seven points, not three. All right. So don't disagree with any of that. I'm going to add to it. I think defensively, one of the things they need to do is they need to find a way to spy Dustin Crum. I think he has hurt teams more in the run game than he has in the pass game. I think we saw Calgary do a little bit of it with Cameron Judge last week. Mm. I think even if this means, and I know this sounds sacrilegious to some Ticat fans, moving a guy like Kyle Wilson into a more prominent role, maybe throwing him in the middle and moving Jimmy Thurman to Will and making Simone Lawrence a bit more of a role player in this one especially – I think you get more some more athleticism, some more speed in the linebacking core. You can we because I think people don't understand is that Thurman for a long time played Will linebacker in Calgary before he moved to the middle. I think last season and obviously he's playing it this year with great effect for the Ty Cats. But I think you need to get more athleticism on the field. And I think if Kyle Wilson has a bigger role, that could really help in that respect. I'm gonna steal something from you, Mike. They gotta stop being bozos. If you listen to Podsky Wawa this week over on Patreon, Mike named a couple of Ticats offensive linemen as his bozos, David Beard with his high snaps, and Brandon Revenberg for taking an uncharacteristically stupid penalty when the team was inside the uh, opposition's five-yard line. You can't do stuff like that. Beard's high snap led directly, in my opinion, to Taylor Powell's one interception last week. And I truly believe that Revenberg's penalty took seven points off the board. The Ticats settled for three after moving back 15 yards from the two. I think if they punch in a touchdown there, I'm not necessarily saying the game would be different, but it makes that game play out a little different. Maybe the outcome's the same, but you never know. Maybe it's not. So they got to stop doing those stupid things. They got to stop making those mental errors and doing things that should come naturally to them when it comes to snapping the football properly, when it comes to not taking dumb penalties. And the last thing I'm going to say is they got to grow a spine. I'm sick of these third and two punts from the 50 yard line. I'm sick of not gambling on third and one and a half. Fucking go for it. Like, Mm -hmm. You're two and four. Your your offense is not clicking on all cylinders. Your defense is giving up a ton of points. Go out there and try to do something. They're, they're fine gambling in the return game. They did a fake reverse on a kickoff last week. They did an onside punt. You know how you know what's the easiest way to pick up three yards? With your goddamn offense, not your special team. So stop being so spineless. Stop being so cowardly. And this is a direct call to the coaching staff and Orlando Steinhauer. Grow a friggin' spine and go for it in these situations. More often than not, you can pick up two to three yards on a third down. Try to keep that possession going. Try to, because you do that, mm-hmm. and I think everyone gets pumped up. You know what I mean? Like, man, we picked up a third and two, and he trusted us to go get it, and we went and got it. And when you do stuff like that, don't just do a goddamn running back counter up the middle or something stupid that's not going to work. Go with your base offense, pick that play that you know is going to be successful and go get those yards and keep the ball and go down the field and score points. So I'm just tired of this team with these cowardly punts. We saw it against Edmonton a few weeks back twice in the first quarter. They punt on third and one instead of going for it. I'm sick of this stuff. Stop being so afraid of making a mistake that you it's a paralysis by analysis. Stop punting when you don't have to go and try to get those one and a half to two yards and go make this a football game and play some goddamn offense. That's what I want to see out of this team on Friday night. And if they can do these things, I think they can get the W. 
Yeah, it, it, and it's the where they're they're punting, right? It's not like it's third and one at their own twenty yard line. It's yeah. third and one at midfield. midfield. And let's get a little bit creative with uh, the third one. So let's just not just do. I know I've been an advocate of the QB plops uh, in the past years, but you know the defense knows that that's coming. So let's 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 switch it up a bit. Maybe a fake handoff. Maybe go deep one time. I know that's 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 some Ron Lancaster shit. And we don't have cojones like oh, Ron you would, Lancaster. You would, you would never want to be like Ron Lancaster, one of the most no. successful coaches in league history. No, why would you ever want no. to take something from I his know. playbook? Oh, but it I was know, 25 just, years ago, so it doesn't work anymore, right? Because football's right. changed. You can't give me yeah. a break. Football's football. We, we can't line up behind center and fake a handoff anymore. We have to be in the shotgun on every single play. And that's not a shot at Orlando. Or that's just modern football. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. Let, let, let's get more creative. Let's get more aggressive and let's have some confidence and let, let's score some points. I will say maybe don't throw it to a linebacker on third and one. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. it worked in 99. I don't know if I'd have the call. No, if, yeah. if he's throwing no. it, if he's that's not necessary. It, no, no. Use the guys that you have that can actually catch passes. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, I think, uh, I think I'm getting a little sick and tired of the, uh, the cowardly play of the playing it safe stuff. It's, I mean, you're two and four playing it safe. Hasn't worked. It's time to roll some dice and try to make some plays. So hopefully we see a little, I'm not holding my breath that we're going to see it, but maybe Bo, who who has a little bit more of a brasher personality, maybe can convince his coaching staff a little more to maybe take a chance. Maybe we'll see a little bit of something different, but I guess we'll have to wait and see for Friday. Hopefully we're back here next week talking about a Ticats win and some sort of weird. I mean, if they win this week, they're tied with Ottawa on the standings with, and they would have won the season series against Ottawa. It's not a must-win game because there's no such thing as that at this point of the season. This would be a pretty big win for the Ticats to get this one to because they're going to be battling, it looks like, with the Red Blacks for a playoff spot and the Alouettes for a playoff spot. Back-to-back weeks, they got those two teams. They can get these two wins. Now we're talking as we go forward, are we not? Right. And we already beat Ottawa earlier this yep. season, so um, that would help if there was a tiebreaker, right? So yep. it's an important game. It's early in the season, but it's a very important game. Montreal plays Calgary this week. I think that Calgary is going to be angry. I think they're going to they're going to get that win against Montreal. So if we get this win against Ottawa, three and four, Ottawa will be three and four. Montreal, if they lose to Calgary, will be two and four. So yeah, very important game early on in the season. But the season doesn't start until Labor Day, buddy. All right. <laughs> yeah, this is preseason, right? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like the first like three games of the season, I consider preseason still because the teams just haven't gelled yet. You don't see good football until the third or fourth or fifth week even in the CFL. So yeah, the season doesn't start till Labor Day. So what the hell am I talking about? Yeah. Well, we're well past the third or fourth week. It's goddamn time for us to see these tie cats, put some, put some stuff together and make mm-hmm. some good plays. So hopefully we see that on Friday night. Well, that was Podski Wee Wee for this week. I've been Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. You no, know, Mike Hausen. What are you doing? You oh, killed the gimmick. Mike you killed the gimmick. I know. You got to protect the character. God dang. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Eat them raw. <laughs>